0: Hey, Jonathan here, with a quick uh, legal disclaimer, you know, just in case. Most of what we say on this show is done with an air of levity and sarcasm, but from time to time we will express opinions, thoughts, ideas, and even the occasional advice with genuine conviction. However, we do not recommend you follow through with anything said on this show. We're not experts and we're not your pastors. We want all of our listeners to be well-informed and make their own decisions. So, any decision you make should be done with the utmost discretion and discernment, giving your current circumstances, your own personal convictions, and your own interpretation of Scripture. With that being said, sit back and enjoy the show. <laughs> Here we go. Christ <laughs> and his twelve apostles. And three, two, one. To another episode of the Borderline Heretics podcast. I'm Jonathan.
1: I'm Thomas.
2: Rob.
0: And we're excited to to have you joining with us today. Valentine's Day is coming. It's very close approaching. Uh, Depending on when I get this edited and sent out, it will be it'll be like right. It'll be like tomorrow, based on when you guys are listening right now. And so. We're going through this series of the seven deadly sins, and and with Valentine's right around the corner, I can't think of a better sin to talk about. I mean, it is the most obvious choice for a sin to talk about with Valentine's Day. I mean, it's the one that everybody struggles with when Valentine's Day comes up. You know it. I know it. We're going to be talking about... Envy. Envy. That's right. That's the... That's the sin that I
1: always struggle with around Valentine's Day. I don't know about you, but that's the one that I struggle with Well, you're year. the one out of the three of us that's single, so... Yeah, I wasn't going to try Look and be these. so direct with that, Thomas. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look at these other people with their big, fanciful displays. I don't have the time or the money to do that. I hey, got a you, job.
1: You want a ring tap? There you go. Yeah, yeah
0: thanks for that. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit in a click right there. A cling! Yeah. But no, today we're going to be talking about Envy. Um, that's our first on these capital vices, these seven deadly sins that we're going to be discussing. And so before we actually get into the subject of envy, before we start diving into what is envy, how does it appear, how does it manifest, what are some examples that we see, uh, how do we overcome it, all those things, we're going to be, I want, I want to take a quick refresher on this idea of seven deadly sins or capital vices. I want all of us to be on the same page. We're going to use those terms interchangeably, I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, I know, like, being spe- specific on definitions is something that you value very highly, Thomas. Um, we want to be precise with our words, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be lazy and I'm going to use them interchangeably, but at least we can get on the same page and know what we're talking about when we use these things, right? So... Vice versus sin, right? So two, two ideas of terminology here, the seven capital vices or the seven deadly sins. What's the difference between vice and sin? What's, what's the nuance between those two words?
1: Well, definitionally, sin is, if you want the archery term, is to miss the mark. It's a perversion. We've talked about this before. And so if the perversion itself is sin then the vice is, to use the the same example, is the bow and the arrow that you use to get to that vice. Mm. So if you use a good bow and arrow, you're going to hit the mark more often than not. But if you use a crooked arrow and a really bad bow, then you're not going to to hit the target at all. So the vice is your favorite means towards sinning, whereas Mm. sin is the result of you being
2: caught up in your vices.
0: I like that. That's a really good that's a really good uh, illustration there.
2: I like to it just envision the word vice. Uh, I know it, it's got several meanings, but I think of a literal like vice that you clamp down on things with. This is the thing that keeps you in the sin, that keeps you coming back to the sin, that keeps you trapped, <laughs> uh just like a vice uh you would use to clamp down as a tool.
1: That's yeah. good. That's good. Like cuz didn't didn't like um historically the word vice kind of come from something that you would get snared in or something like was that ever used as a hunting term I, sh- I should know that being someone who actually hunts fairly regularly but um I can't I can't remember I this is something I didn't think about before the podcast Yeah neither
0: did I That's that's a, that there's a good possibility in that um Rob you got something there
2: uh, Etymology online so online uh Vice, moral fault, wickedness, uh, old French, vice from a fault, failing defect, regular, irregularity. Sorry, my my mouth is a little bit off of me today because I went to the dentist and <laughs> my, my lip is numb, so if I'm sounding a little weird.
0: That is your uh, vice to
2: carry today. That is my vice to carry today. Uh, but uh, a winch, a crane, a screw... And so, yeah, it's like a, it comes from the root word way, vice way to to uh, screw something in uh, like a winch or the bending of a crossbow or a catapult.
0: Oh, so it even kind of goes. OK, it has some related things there. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, when I, when I was <clears throat> parsing out these these two ideas is uh, vices are are habitual. they are things that are formed that are developed over time. Not that sins can't be. But I think sin can be often too specific, right? Like you were saying, Thomas, those are the specific actions. But it can also be too broad, you know, as just a sense of, like, our sin nature. You find something there? Uh,
2: I, I just found it fascinating, and I never connected this, but I, I should have connected this. The word vicious comes from vice.
0: Oh, hey.
2: Yeah, they're related. That vicious. That sense.
0: But, but, yeah, so that that idea is vice is, is a habit. It's something that's developed in us that... I'm, certainly there are things that are innate in us, um, in our nature. Uh, maybe we have certain proclivities towards, uh, just from birth who we are, but it's, it's something that is nurtured, that's fostered in us. Just, just the same as a virtue, right? The opposite of the vice is the virtue. And so a virtue is something that is developed, something that has to be overcome through a lot of effort. Um, something that, that doesn't just happen overnight. Something that, that is a progression, uh, and so like you were saying, Thomas, it's it's that bow that we use to shoot, you know, it's it's the thing in and of itself that sends that sin out, it's that the root of it, um, and that, that leads us to our next definition, right, so capital versus deadly, so why, and Thomas, you mentioned it a little bit last episode, this idea of deadly sins, uh, we talked about it briefly, uh, but let's just kind of refresh our, our listeners on that, why is the the term "deadly sins" kind of a misnomer or a a, a false moniker? There
1: was well, if if we kind of have to go back and look at where the terms came from, because um, originally it was um, eight eight um, evil thoughts, right? Right. So it wasn't denoting death; it was denoting uh, morality in those thoughts, and those things became um, evil actions or whatever, and then now they're um, the deadly sins is what they're known by most people. And there is a very easily drawn line to be able to make here because the Catholic Church is the one who predominantly, I would say, completely influenced the definition because of who was writing the seven deadly sins. So we have Aquinas who... Is the one who essentially made the seven deadly sins, and then you have George before him, Gregory. Gregory, that's right, not George. Gregory before him, uh, writing these things. Who was Pope? Yes, he was a and Pope. So the Catholic Church heavily influenced this, and this is important because um, the Roman Catholic Church—I um, might use those interchangeably, but there's a, there's spe- speci- there's, a, there's specific. a specific reason to use the Roman Catholic Church because that's distinct from simply saying Catholic Church. And the theology of the Roman Catholic Church is that you have a part to play in your salvation, Um, that Christ's death has done everything for you up until the point that you accept, and now you are held accountable to be able to go to confession, to be able to show up for all sacraments, to be able to go to show up to church and to serve in whatever capacity that you're called to by the pope or whoever the clergy are that you are underneath as a, as a member to the church. And so these, this idea of seven deadly sins is influenced by this idea that if your actions are not just or they're not right, then you're going to fall into death because you are no longer pursuing righteousness, you're pursuing death because your actions influence your salvation. So for us as Protestants, uh, for those of us who are not Roman Catholic, we don't see it that way. We we do not place emphasis on ourselves needing to do anything, because as we've seen in Scripture, Christ has made no point of saying that we need to do anything, um, but this is where the, the term comes from. We, we do need to place faith in Christ, but our actions are not required for salvation, and the Catholic Church has that, which is why we've gotten towards the idea of deadly sins.
0: Right. And even, even in their understanding of these sins, um, so you would have some that would, that are maybe, um, less offensive that if you, if you, if you commit them, you know, they're not, they're not going to separate you from, from Christ in the same way. You know, that it's a small fault. Okay. If you don't confess before you die, okay, whatever, you know, that's a small thing. But there are other ones that are so heinous that would Separate you from Christ, even if you didn't. If you didn't end up going to confession and and, and doing your penance and all that stuff, mm-hmm. well,
2: and their view of suicide is that uh, when it is murder for you to kill yourself, and so if you kill yourself, then you as a person can't go ask for forgiveness because you're dead. Right now, I mean that's a game I'm not willing to play, but
1: yeah, it, that
2: is. Unfortunately, I mean, if whatever deterrent that keeps from getting you to kill yourself, great. But uh, that is not what Protestants. And
1: believe, it's right? you. You see that exemplified really well with Dante's Inferno. If you go, I found it. It's not free on YouTube anymore. You have to pay for it. But it is on Amazon Prime to watch free with ads, or you can pay a couple bucks to to get it without ads. And they exemplify this through this storytelling in the movie very well to say yeah these people are damned worse than other people because they committed suicide like their or, actions are the reason why they were damned
2: or you can just go read the book it's in public domain
1: yeah that too <laughs> yeah
0: well um the animation is so so nice but um but the, the the point being is that even in their understanding of that, that's not consistent with the vices that we see, the sins that we see, because uh, gluttony and lust aren't necessarily those sins that would keep you, that would be uh, damning if you had not gone to confession. They would see them as uh, more as a, a a point of weakness, not necessarily as a, as a, um, a detraction from your love from God or like a, a steering away or something like that. This just a, a point of weakness, not necessarily a, a, a malicious intent against God. And, and so even in that sense, the word deadly can be confusing and, and misconstrued. And so we're still going to use it because that's the popular, that's the popular term for it, right? That, that makes sense. But just know that that's not, we don't hold it in the same sense that, that, it, that, um, that, that, it has traditionally been used, right? Yeah,
1: We're not using deadly to be able to say that if you have done any of these, then you are damned, right?
0: All sins, all sins are deadly. All sins separate you from Christ. But if you are redeemed, if you are um, saved, then, then that's not the case anymore, right? God, Christ has paid for your sins and now you work out your salvation, um, not from a, a, a sense of trying to earn it, but out of your salvation, and so so there's the distinction there. Um, so the term capital, right, that's more correct in, in how we would use that. And so...
2: And we're yelling it.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> it's all capital.
0: <laughs> Sometimes I don't know where you're going with your jokes, but then it, it hits and it's like, okay. Um, capital. Capital vices. So the idea of capital... It comes from that understanding of, of head. You know, we know capital punishment and, and some of the etymology there is like it would actually cut off your head. And so this idea of capital vices is that these are our head sins. These are chief sins. Not that they're the worst, not that they're the most egregious, right? Uh, rape, murder, those are some terrible things, but you don't see those as the capital uh, vices. But just like your analogy with the boat. These are the these are the, the vices from which all other sins would would come out of, right? If we think of it as a tree, pride would be that root, right? It'd be the trunk, and then from that you'd have seven main branches, and that would be these these seven sins, and then you'd have all these other branches that would come out of that um, that would bear poisonous fruit. So that's that's kind of the understanding with with capital. Uh, Rob, you had something there? Oh, okay. One analogy I want to kind of work with with that idea of a tree and root sins, and and because this is going to help us as we look into why do we why do we look at these things? Why are we focusing on these seven and not some other things and and how do we how do we overcome them? What's the point? Right? The whole point was about self-reflection, understanding yourself to become more like Christ. And so when we look at this idea of a tree, and the root being pride and the main branches being these seven vices and then other offshoot sins coming from them. We've all done some landscaping here, right? None of us are uh, professional uh, tree removal people, but we've all done that before, right? How would you go about taking down a really big tree? Not just a little thing that you could, like, yank out the ground, but a, 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 a significantly large tree, how
1: would, you, how would you tackle that? You're saying just cutting it down. Yeah, yeah. What, what would be some of the steps that you would do? Um, if everything's, Generally speaking. Yeah, if everything's wide open, then you would just go to the base and make specific cuts in order to let the whole thing fall down. If you're worried about stuff falling down or whatever, then you need to go through and chop off a bunch of the big branches on top, and then you let the whole thing
2: fell down. No, the first thing you do is you go to the city and get a permit.
1: <laughs> that's
0: that's true. That's true. Because they true. will shut you down. <laughs> I don't know where that fits in this it's,
1: analogy, but that's accurate. I know,
2: because that happened to us.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, it's oh. it's within a certain size that you can't do that. Yeah. Like once, once a tree reaches a certain height, I think it's something like above 10 feet that mm-hmm. you can't do anything with it yeah um, but yeah,
0: but you made a good point, and this was what i was was trying to 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 get at was if if you're worried about how it falls, you've got to start chopping off the big branches you You don't go so meticulous as to like chop off all the tiny little branches. you don't go limb by limb and just shuck off the small stuff. Uh, but you also don't just like hack at the bottom, right? You don't always start at this unless you've got room. Uh, you don't hack right at the bottom or you don't try to uproot the whole thing all at once. You take off the big branches that you need and then you slowly start to cut down the trunk and then you dig it up by the roots. And so in the same way, these sins, when we look at them, yes, we could try to go to the source and try to uproot pride, and but the tree might be too big. It might be too hard for us to actually do. And so what we often need to do is not to nitpick at the small little sins that we commit each day, but to find those big branches and chop them off so that it's easier to get at their root and, and bring it out.
2: Are you trying to imply that the tree, these vices, are, are sins trying to tackle them, trying to tackle these sins on your own, is directly por- proportional to the faith you bring to overpower it? Potentially. And so the reason that most people can't deal with uh, these vices is that they're trying to deal with too much, and what they need to do is instead cut off a small section. Mm-hmm. Because it's one thing if you bring, you know, somebody somebody has a oh. you know, tractor load of faith, they can just hook a chain around the thing and yank the whole thing out. But most people don't have that. Well, what you got is mostly a little chainsaw. You might even have, you know, a pocket knife, and you're sitting there trying to tackle this entire giant tree when what you really need to do is go and take it piece by piece and take care of a section at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, take what your faith can handle and overpower.
0: And the crazy thing is what often happens is when we do that, these, and what we'll find, because even when we were talking earlier, we were seeing how these vices overlap with each other what we often find is that taking down one thing often helps take down another thing or we'll like, cause sometimes we'll cut down a branch and just how it's situated, it'll knock down like two or three other ones underneath it. Um, And that's true with these vices as well. Then also just in that analogy, taking out a tree is a whole lot easier if you got two or three people with you. Amen. (laughs) There have been some stories, and trying to take down a tree by yourself, man, that's that's rough. Oh my goodness, There's, it can kill you.
1: I remember you say it can kill you. I remember taking down an oak tree that was about, um, it was it was less than four feet in diameter. It was somewhere around three and a half feet in diameter. Mm. So it was a massive oak tree, live oak tree. Hate live oak trees, but we were taking the thing down. And we were just straight dropping it. We weren't worried about doing any of the the delicacies. We had plenty of room. And the guy who's supposed to be the supervisor ended up showing how he was the least adept at doing the task at hand. And he was standing underneath the direction where the tree would fall i no longer have the video but i had a video going with my phone to make sure i had evidence to say it was him who made the (laughs) the mistake (laughs) and not us so while that's happening there's a point to this while that's happening one of the other guys that works there is standing right next to him and grabs his his sweatshirt that he's wearing and pulls him right when the tree starts to get moving because it's like, hey, you don't need to stand there. You shouldn't have been cutting it like that to begin with and pulls him out of the way because he would have ended up getting crushed by the tree. Because I mean, he was kind of a bigger guy, kind of bouldery, not very agile. He would have gotten smashed. Mm-hmm. And so that just to your point of it's easier to take down a tree when you have multiple people. Also, you may not know how to do anything with taking down a tree. So those other people will tell you not to do the mm-hmm. dumb things, <laughs> not to sit in front
0: of the tree and let it crash <laughs> on you. Yeah. And so when we're going through these things, and this is this is our, our hope. And and Zach, who who's not uh, with us tonight, uh, he's got he's got work. Um, and uh. He, one of the things that he had mentioned l- last year,
2: tell your friends so we don't have to work anymore.
0: That's right. Please
2: do. Please. Tell Just a lot on. of
0: your friends and then we never have to, this will be our work. It'll happen. It'll happen. It'll we, happen. We'll,
2: we'll, and we'll put more episodes out eventually.
0: <laughs> it's always a scheduling thing because we got work at, we got to work other things. But uh, Zach, one of the things that he had mentioned last year when we were looking forward, he was saying he wants uh, – he was looking forward to more practical application. And so this is one of those scenarios that as we're walking through these seven capital vices that you would begin to reflect and look at yourself and honestly ask, where are the vices in my life? And maybe they're not a huge uh, live oak. Maybe, maybe they're just a little dogwood, dogwood. That's there it is. Dogwood. Maybe just a little dogwood. Right. Maybe those branches aren't that big, but I'm guarantee you there's probably a couple branches that are big that we need to work through. Uh, And and that's the thing that we're going to be doing as we're looking through this is seeing where are we, where do we struggle with these vices? Now, this isn't couch confession, so you're not getting all that info here on the on the show, but we're going to be doing that. We're going to be examining ourselves. Any good Christian who is dedicated to following Christ is, is in the business of reflection, of analyzing yourself, of, of seeking growth and, and sanctification. And so that's, what, that's the goal of this, is to see where do we struggle and how can we start to take these trees down? How can we get a better bow so that we're not missing the mark? So... With all that out of the way, let's talk about envy. What is envy? What are some, some definitions? What are some misconceptions? Is envy the same as jealousy? Is envy the same as greed? What is
1: envy? Um, I don't have a definition in front of me. That's okay, just some ideas. But um, envy, in and of itself, from what I've found, is... The desire for what someone else has, um, even to the extent of wishing harm, specifically to the extent of wishing harm. So you don't necessarily have to wish that someone's demise is resulting in order to be envious. But it's not much of a hop, skip and jump away to get to when you start off by saying, why not me? Mm. When you see someone else have something. Yeah. Uh it's it's very easy. I can remember, um, and this isn't a shot at you, Jonathan, because I made the joke earlier, <laughs> but I can remember points in being single and having relationships go wrong or seeing other people and being ticked because I didn't have what I wanted and I imposed this hatred towards other people because they had something that I didn't have. Mm. Um I so think that's a
0: that's a good tie in there. Is, is that malice, that anger? We you know, we're going to talk about wrath at some point, but it's important to know that envy also has that element of, of hatred and, and that element of anger they're tied to it, you know, that why not me mentality of I don't like that person because they have something that I don't have.
2: Uh, on some level, all of these, you know, sins bleed over and cross over with each other. they, mm-hmm. they, they touch, they're not their own exclusive. Individual thing, uh, they they draw power from each other, mm-hmm. so to speak.
0: The uh, the thing that I want to parse out is um, envy and jealousy. Right, jealousy feeds off of envy. Jealousy is offshoot of that. But there's a there's a nuanced dif- uh, difference between the two. Jealousy says, "I want that also. You have it, I want it." right? Envy says, I want it and I don't want you to have it. It's this idea of my superiority comes from your inferiority. So I have to, I can't just excel, but you also have to, to decrease. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, you know, Rob, we were talking earlier, um, man, I want a PS5. I see somebody get a PS5. I want a PS5. If we can all have PS5s, that's great. Awesome. Let's all have PS5s. That's jealousy. Mm-hmm. Envy says, you got a PS5? I want your PS5. And I want you to have to, like, deal with a PS1. I want you to have an Atari. That's what I want you to. Not, No, 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 not an Atari, because an Atari that has some prestige to it. I'll I, take the Atari, yeah. I want you. I want you to be stuck playing cell phone games, because I have your PS5. Right. That's that mentality of envy. It's this somebody else must decrease so that I can increase. Yeah. And so jealousy Mm -hmm. and covetousness and greed, they all they all offshoot from it. But envy has that air of of malice to it.
1: Yeah. A a real life example that I'm sure most people have seen. It may be high school relationships or college relationships or whatever else. But it, it can be friendships. It can be parents. Um, There's actually a really good movie that was out not too long ago that would describe this. I can't remember the name of it. It was on Netflix. But this having a friend or a significant other or a family member that you don't want them to have relations with anyone else but you. Mm -hmm. That's envy. You envy the fact that they can give their attention to somebody else when they could be giving that attention to you. You, they, they're not allowed to have relations with anyone else because that threatens who you are as a human being mm. because you don't have any understanding of, of your value, and so you have to reinforce that with other people having their sole attention only on you. That's, that's envious um, with relationships as to where you date this chick and she can't have friends with any other guys whatsoever. I can get making boundaries about Mm -hmm. doing certain things, but not being able to be friends with another guy in some way that she's known since she was in middle school or something, eh, I don't really get that. And it would go even a step further. If there was another friend that she would have, it's,
0: I, I want him to have a horrible time. Yeah. Because he might take her attention. I want him... I don't want him to ever date anybody. He needs to go away,
1: mm-hmm. you know, completely. Oh, I think the movie was called Run because the girl couldn't walk in the movie. And the the movie itself is a mother who yeah, is alone. I, I don't know if that's the name of it. It might not be about. Run, but it's um the mother was taking care of this daughter. And the way it begins, you don't understand what's going on. And you see a helpless girl who needs help from her mother and who needs all these things, when in reality, spoil, spoiler alert for you guys, um, this girl was being drugged by her mother, who actually isn't her mother, and being kept to be a disabled individual because of the drugs that her mother was forcing her to use. So then, she couldn't go around and do anything without her mother. Mm. And it it, cre- it increases to the point to where... She gets locked in the basement and she is being refused to go and do anything anywhere whatsoever. She can't leave the house. She can't do anything. She has to be like, that's envy. Mm. And it makes it worse because this mother, that's not her child. Yeah. That's someone else's child who she stole because her child went away. And so this is envy to an nth degree because, oh, you have a child. That's my child. I didn't get my child. So that I have to have your child because that's not fair.
0: You, you you brought up a couple of things that I wanted to get back around to, um, but I, I want to before we dive into that. Do we have some some other words, Rob? I know you are uh, big into the word studies, the Greek and the Hebrew. What are some insights that we can get from from that?
2: Oh, okay. Well, it, it, it's fascinating that mostly this is a concept that is developed from uh, Greek. Especially biblically, mm-hmm. and so you you find it popping up in two different words specifically throughout, uh, you know, the Greek New Testament and the Septuagint. Uh, the first one is Zelao, and the derivatives from it, which is where we get the word zealous. A mm. uh, long time ago, the word jealous and zealous used to mean the same thing, and uh, they have you know diverged in meaning. To be zealous means more passionately. Uh, after something, mm. and jealous means that you are passionately after something of somebody else's.
0: That's an interesting concept. We we used we we know this from like you, you hear this a lot with the word love and how the Greeks had like four different words for it and how we've simplified it over time. Mm. Uh, and so this is an interesting instance where the reverse happened, where we had one word for it uh, to mean that could mean both things, and then we have uh, split it off to where. It, now we have two words for that one thing. So that's an interesting where we... And
2: seemingly zealous is the more positive one and jealous is the more negative one. But Mm. they they were both tended to be more on the negative side even though it was more just a thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because it it all depends upon how it's used. Uh, And so uh, being jealous is to experience a strong envy and resentment against someone. So it's... It's kind of funny you're using the definition of it in the definition right uh, but uh to to there's this other word uh see if I can even say it or pronounce it even halfway correctly pathonos mm. p h t h o n o s pathonos, and that is a state of ill will towards someone because of some real or presumed advantage experienced by such a person. And so somebody else gets an advantage, and you wanted that advantage. And so you don't just want to be at the same place they are because jealousy would bring you up to the same place they are. You don't just want what they have. You want that malice, that taking of what they have. You want to take their advantage away. Mm. And and that is the distinction mostly between these two words. And you'll find it uh, not so much in Scripture. It is uh, Maccabees. Of all plays. First Maccabees actually uses the term where uh, it it uses both of these in the same sentence. Of you know, you, you don't want to have both jealousy or uh, envy.
1: That sounds like it's getting at um, something that we're dealing with today, with the whole victimhood and oppressor mentality. Oh, I'm not envious. Y- you just you know, you're you're advantaged in ways that you don't even understand. And I can't even explain those things to you. Mm. There's
0: something that that kind of brings about this advantage and um, this ill will. One of the things that that I found with this um, is is jealousy, covetousness. These things tend to have um, a root in possession. You have something that I don't have, and I want that something. Whereas envy. It has to do more with like qualities. It has to do with self worth. Thomas, you used the word earlier, value, and so one of the things that that is deeply related to envy is where you're putting your self worth. Right. That's why you might be envious of somebody is because, um, Rob, you might have a really nice Camry, and my self worth is tied in in these possessions, and so I see you have a Camry. Well, I want a Lexus, not because you have a Lexus, not because you have something nice, but because I put my self-worth in the cars that I have, and you have a better car than I do, so I want a better car than you do, because that means I'm worth more than you are. That means I have more value, right? Um, If if somebody has a relationship, maybe my self-worth is tied in relationships. Uh, Thomas, you might have a happy marriage. I'm assuming you do. Uh, you have a happy (laughs) marriage, right? But I don't. My self-worth is tied in relationships. So I I don't need just a happy marriage. I need you to have a horrible marriage because that's going to make me feel good about myself. Then my self-worth is higher than your self-worth. My value is now higher than your value. Which is to
2: say, some of the people you are getting advice from might not be wanting the happiest thing for your marriage, just Mm. FYI.
1: Yeah, that's why I've heard heard it told by several people is be careful who you share good news with because it might be a person who doesn't want to hear the good news that you have and they're going to tell you all the ways that you don't realize are ways to screw it up.
2: Yeah. Protect your marriage.
1: Yeah.
0: And and so the thing is though, if my self-worth isn't tied in that, then I don't care. You got a happy marriage. That's great. My self-worth isn't tied in my relationships. My self-worth is tied in my musical ability. So, if you all of a sudden have an amazing talent at guitar, now I'm envious because my self-worth is tied into that.
1: So you're saying vanity has to do with identity.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, vanity, envy, these it has to do with who you are as a person. It's it's deeper. There is this idea of of advantages, of quality, of of it's not just possession. The possession we often disguise it as that. I just want that thing. But envy The heart of it is who do you think you are? Who do you see yourself as? Because it's not always I'm not always envious of of everybody under the sun. It's what do what do I value as a as a person? And if somebody else has more of that than I do, within an attainable level, right? My self-worth isn't tied in in money. Mm -hmm. I'm not really envious of Bill Gates. I can never get there. But you might have a better 401k. You might have a making like $10,000 a year more than I do. That's that's attainable. That's something in my purview. And so I'm envious of you because I should be there. I should be what you have. So, I could be.
2: So envy is a stepping stone between pride and wrath?
0: I think so. I think there's a good tie there for sure. For sure. Um, well, it sounds
1: like you're describing keeping up with the Joneses. In
0: a little ways, yeah. It's it's where do you sign? Where Stupid Joneses. <laughs> where do you where do you draw that? No, sorry. If word? your name is
2: Jones, we love you. Sorry.
0: We we know a few, um, or one. Um, <laughs> Rob, you we've got some biblical examples. Um, I think actually I want to end with the example that we brought up there, uh, Thomas. What are some examples that you had? come up with with this idea of envy and and just kind of like just name like one or two and we'll kind of break apart what we've got
1: real quick before that I want to get because I don't feel like we've completed this idea real quick because you're talking about vainglory being the the wanting for envy yeah the envy of other people uh, wanting what they have and thinking they don't deserve it because you deserve it where is this coming from and we we've gotten to identity Mm. and so why is that uh Vainglory is the pursuit of filling yourself and giving yourself meaning through taking things from others. We can see that in the serpent with Adam and Eve. It's like, oh, you have God's image, so I'm going to take that from you. I can't have it, so you can't have it. Mm. But this idea of keeping up with the Joneses matches in with it is that we're See, we're not recognizing our identity, and so we're trying to create an identity through taking things from other people. Mm. Um, this is how you can get to murder. Mm. This is how you can get to a lot of other atrocities. But when you get to recognizing your identity in Christ, then what's the natural result? If you're in Christ, then you're naturally not going to have as strong a tendency to... Vainglory, you're not going to look to take things from other people. You're going to be looking to give to other people because mm. we're described as what? A cup that's overflowing because yeah. Christ in us, overflowing love. And so what's naturally going to have is we're going to become giving, which would be the opposite mm. of wanting from other people is to give. And yeah. it's of the natural giving. Yeah. So if I just want to make the point here that why are we struggling with um, envy. envy? With yeah. envy is because we're not understanding of our identity. And yeah. so because of that, we're trying to create or fulfill ourselves in a way that is hollow and shallow. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But examples that we can see of well, the this first one in there is Cain and Abel. That's the first blatant example that we can see in scripture. Cain did not meet the mark, and instead of him seeing that as, oh, this is revealing, maybe I should start pursuing, you know, going after the things that God actually has for me to become a more fuller example of what Adam was supposed to be. Mm
0: -hmm. He's like,
1: nah, I hate my brother, I'm gonna go kill him.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't even like, if it was just simply jealousy, jealousy, just a smaller portion of that, it would have been, okay, I, I want to have or or even in a good light zealous Abel is getting praise from his sacrifice mm-hmm. I want that praise too and so that zealousness in a good light or jealousy uh, in a negative would say I'm going to work to get that same praise but envy says no I want him to die he can't get any more praise yeah. right so it's 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 a deeper deeper level and that's the right there at the beginning. Yep. Right there at the beginning of scripture. Uh Joseph, oh, hold
2: on. You got something there? Uh, I was just going to say Cain didn't even bring the right sacrifice though. He brought, you know, grain whereas, mm. you know, there was a reason the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice, but when, you know, Cain just said, "No, the Lord needs to accept what I brought. I should get praise for what I brought." Mm. And so the the malicious intent enters him even more there because mm-hmm. You know, his brother not only got something he didn't have, it is seen as a personal attack on what you brought wasn't good enough. And so instead of correcting his mistake, he goes and he kills his brother. Mm. This could have all been remedied by going back and correcting his mistake and saying, oh, okay, the issue here is that's not what God wanted. Yeah. No, no. He's focusing not on the object that he is supposed to be giving the praise to. He's focusing on how it was received.
1: And that that's such a, a, a huge thing because people tend to look at the Old Testament and think it's all just judgment and killing and God being wrathful and vengeful. Cain had the ability to do what was right. God didn't say, you're done, this is it, only one strike, you're out. It's like, he did what I asked both of you to do, you didn't you have an example from what he did, go and actually do what I asked you to do.
0: Well, this, this brings out another interesting element of envy, and I believe it was Aquinas um, uh, who, who kind of brought this about, is like envy as the opposite of charity. And it's not only a, a lack of love for your neighbor, but is also a lack of love for God. Because... Cain is getting mad at God. God should have accepted what I gave him. What God did wasn't right. And so I'm ticked at God. And so how I'm, going to, uh, um, how I'm going to manifest that is killing my brother. You should have done better for me. You should have praised me, so I'm going to kill the one that you liked.
2: Now there's only me. Right. You have to accept me.
0: And with this idea of of envy, a lot of times that's the case. Um, in in the book that that Thomas and I are looking through, uh, Rebecca De DeYoung's uh, "Glittering Vices," she talks about um, a an example of um, Mozart. And I'm going to pronounce this guy's name wrong. Uh, Saleri. I think that's how it's pronounced. But uh, mm-hmm. Saleri, that that first page there, Mozart was a, a wonderful composer, wonderful uh, pianist, and uh, Saliri wanted to be that. And Soleri, uh prayed to God, hey, um, make me a wonderful composer. I will be chaste. I will uh, be wholly devoted to you. I'm going to do whatever you want. And God gave him talent. He was talented, but just not to the level of Mozart. And so he viewed Mozart as this buffoon, as this trivial, like, he was just flouting around his talent, right? He was an amazing talent, uh, amazing composer. That Salieri could never achieve that level of fame. And so Salieri hated, you could see it as him hating Mozart because Mozart had more ability than he had, more talent than he had. But on a deeper level, he hated God because God gave Mozart more talent. God gave Mozart this fame and ability, not me. I'm the one who's supposed to be devoted to you. I'm the one that's that's supposed to be chased. I've done all this stuff, and you haven't given me anything. You've given it all to Mozart, so I hate you, God, because you've done something wrong, so I'm going to fix it. And I don't know the truth of this. She's referencing the the movie Amadeus, so I don't know the historical accuracy of this, but in the movie, at least, it's portrayed that Saliri... Uh, even plots to kill Mozart because God has favored Mozart more than himself and so he's going to attack God by attacking Mozart. But it's this idea of hatred not just towards your your fellow man but towards God.
2: I'm looking at the Wikipedia on this right now mm-hmm. and uh, Salieri. Salieri. Okay. That's that's how they're they're pronouncing it anyway. Um It says, decades after Mozart's death, a rumor began to circulate that Mozart had been poisoned by Salieri. The rumor had been attributed to a rivalry between the German and Italian schools of music. So their schools started these rumors Mm. of, oh, well, you know, your your guy poisoned my guy. And uh, so, but uh, yeah, apparently they just turned into gangs and...
0: So it could have been just all a fabrication, or it could have actually been. It
2: might have been a little
0: true. <laughs> might have been a little bit
2: true. Dun, dun, dun.
1: He might have wanted to, but never did, but because he wanted to, it was attributed. Or, or maybe he said it in passing or something like that. Like, I wish that guy would be dead. You know how I'd do it? I'd it here's an
2: interesting fact. Salieri, along with Mozart's protege, J.N. Hummel, educated Mozart's younger son, Franz Xavier Mozart, born about four months before his father's death. Hmm. So he went and actually mentored Mozart's son. So mm-hmm. there can't be it, – it's either there is so much ill will or it is this, ah, I get the last word, I'm raising your son, ha.
0: Could be, <laughs> could be. Well, if he's truly envious, you know, it's, it's not always yeah. uh, out front. Envy isn't – envy is often passive aggressive. And yeah. so it could have been that. It, it's, I, mean, I
1: mean, you can think about office people who you know they hate you. Mm-hmm. They They can't stand you. They'll talk crap about you behind your back. Every which way, look at you with snarky faces across the but room. But then, in front of the boss, in front of you, even, yeah, they'll they'll treat you like you're you're God's golden child. They'll yeah. kiss you wherever you ask because they don't want you to know that they despise you.
0: Yeah, because it brings up inferiority. If you know I'm envious of you, then that means that you know that I think I'm inferior to you. Yeah. And
1: that's And see that's where it gets at it because a lot of people think think it's just wanting what someone else has it is legitimately a a reflection of how you think of yourself. Mm. It has nothing to do with the other person. It's with you thinking that you don't have that you are inferior and God is the the ultimate reason behind that. Mm. And so you are just in hating that person because you for whatever reason, are lacking. But here's the thing. It's on your own judgment. Mm. No one else has made the judgment. Someone may have said something about, oh, wow, he can do a better crossover than you. You know, mm. you're playing basketball, whatever. <laughs> you got a better jump shot. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Who cares?
0: And, and are either of you going into the NBA?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. And that's a good segue to the other example is Joseph. Because mm. Joseph was treated by his father better than all of his other brothers, and they were going to kill Joseph, mm-hmm. but then they saw a, the the slave trade uh, going by, and so mm-hmm. they're like, "Hey, we might as well just make money off of this if we're going to do it right." Yeah, and why why kill him when we can profit?
0: Was the crazy thing the result? They did that because they wanted more attention from their father. Yep. What was the result though? When they, they ga-
1: lost even more attention from their father because he went into such heavy grieving.
0: Yes. Yeah, and then then Benjamin was born to to replace Joseph, and so so then they just got screwed over again. So well, it never worked out for him. He
2: he never trusted them again. Yeah. Anytime you see them in scripture, they you know when they go and they have to go to Egypt to get food, and they come back and say we've got to bring Benjamin. He's like, no, I'd starve before I give you Benjamin. Yeah. Because the last time I gave you a son, he never came back. And they, and they they tried to say, oh, well, he tried to, you know, Joseph tried to come towards us and find us, but some wild animal got him. And you just get this point that after some time Jacob saw per- right through yeah. it and went, no, you did something to him. Yeah. And I know that deep mm-hmm. down. You, you, it might have been a wild animal that killed him, but you're at fault. And so I'm never sending, you know. And he, he even grieves. He goes, I sent you to Egypt and you came back without Simeon. mm I send you there again. it goes I'm losing sons one by one every time I give them to you mm.
0: there's a, uh, one more biblical example I wanted to talk about, and it's one that uh Rob you had brought up it it's it's tied to one of the only times we or one of the few times we see that word envy uh in the new testament you had you had brought it up earlier
2: yeah um matthew twenty seven eighteen and it's echoed in mark fifteen ten uh they echo each other, and it says, for they knew that because of envy they had, he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. And this is specifically referencing Pilate uh, looking at the Pharisees on handing Jesus over to him. It says, Pilate knew that because of envy, the Pharisees had handed Jesus over to be crucified. Mm. And so the Pharisees were envious of Jesus uh, with this malicious intent. It's for for all the things they had, they really uh, wanted what he had, and to take away what he had.
0: All right, Thomas, you were talking about that a little bit earlier too. Like, their identity was tied into their respect as rabbis, as 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 the
1: religious authorities, yeah. right? And it's there's it just popped in my head, but there's an even better relevant example to give right now, and that is the. Uh, controversy air quotes emphasized of Joe Rogan trying to be smeared by all of the other corporate media. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the corporate media is envious as hell because Joe Rogan gets more listeners and he has more respect. And why is that? Because he tries to be honest and he interviews people who people actually want to hear from. And it's not snippets. It's not cuts. But to to shorten this shorten this up, is you have this enviousness from these established individuals mm-hmm. who, who are mad because they're towing the line, they're doing what they're told, they've done everything they've been told for this whole time, and then all of a sudden, this new guy comes in who's being honest, who's doing things appropriately in context, and, and caring about individuals. Well, guess what? Screw him, because we're supposed to get that. That's supposed to be ours. Why should he get that? He's not following everything the way that we have. We're so much better. At least that's what they want to think. That's what they espouse yeah, when okay. they really feel inferior because they see the the results and the quality of his life that he's living. And they don't see it in themselves.
0: The beginning of his ministry, one of his first times preaching, you know, people were saying, who is this person that's, that speaks the law? We've never heard the law taught like this. How big of a slap in the face is that to yep. all the 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 priests in the area? Jesus, who came out of nowhere, right? The carpenter's son comes up and starts talking and teaching the law. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. This guy is speaking with authority. And these other rabbis are like, what am I, chop liver? Like, come on, yeah. man. Like, I've spent my entire life dedicated to this,
1: and this chump comes in hey, here. Hey, think about this. Martin Luther... Yeah, that's what happened with Martin. like Martin Luther's not Jesus, but (laughs) Martin Luther did a pretty good job of being the best Jesus he could be Mm. with his his theses and him coming out and being like, you guys can't keep doing this Mm. and saying these are legitimate things. And he didn't want to override the church. Mm. Jesus didn't come there to go and dismiss all of the Pharisees. He came to say, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Luther was saying. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We as the church can't be telling them they have to come through us. Mm. And, and it, it's so ridiculous that that the Pharisees and the church have just gotten wound up in this in such an exactly similar way. Mm.
2: There's no easier way to expose envy than with a rebuke. Mm. And a correction, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Jesus was doing to the Pharisees, is it wasn't just that they saw, oh, he has power, oh, he's healing people, because they wanted that. They yep. really wanted to see the Messiah come, yep. but they didn't understand what he was doing and why he was doing. They they wanted him to, to toe their line, yep. and he was correcting them, saying, no, this is where you've gotten off course. This is where you have gotten some things wrong. Let me correct you. And you actually find there are Pharisees in Scripture that when he has discussions with them, uh, they either walk away bewildered or they affirm him. Mm-hmm. And so not all the Pharisees were were terrible, horrible no. people, but it's there was just this specific group of them that was, you know, the more he corrected them, the more they dug down even tighter. And, I mean, similar thing happened with Luther. You brought him up that... Uh, when he started correcting the Catholic Church, and, you know, you can look at that. You read the 95 Theses twice. You read it the first time as a, you know, naive Luther saying, hey, I really think that the Catholic Church is going to take these corrections, consider them. They're going to be like, oh, we hadn't really thought all of these through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, maybe we won't take all of them, but we'll, we'll we'll really give this some good thoughtful consideration. Thank you. Because, you know, he's a priest of their order. But then you read it again, the, the assumption here is that the pope is innocent, but if the pope in that hierarchy is not innocent, if they've been doing all of these things on purpose, then it becomes a very damning article because these corrections expose your heart. Yeah. And so with the Pharisees, Jesus was exposing their heart, that they really weren't in this. They were in the religion because it gave them power, not because they really truly loved God and they couldn't st- it.
1: Yeah, and all this revealing that you're talking about, this rebuke, the means to being able to reveal individuals' envy, um, you see this really well exemplified. I I find Jesus exemplifies the best way to be able to rebuke someone is with a really good worded question. And you see it happen when uh, Pharisees included, but not all Pharisees, come and throw this woman who's an adulterer at Jesus' feet and he says, he who has No sin, cast the first stone. And it's presented as a question. It's like, who doesn't have sin? Go ahead and throw the first stone. Everyone just drops it because they realize they want something because someone else doesn't have it. They see that he forgives her, but they don't get that forgiveness on top of it. Like on top of all of this stuff, they want to see they had different motives, but they're, they're trying to look for other people. To, to punish, because they want to feel like they're more righteous.
2: Mm.
1: It's like, I see all my inequalities, and this woman is, is benefiting from, from doing bad things. She should be punished. Mm. Instead of focusing on, on growing themselves, and then what happens? Jesus forgives her, not them. Why? Because number one, he's giving an example of the grace that he has, but she presents herself to him, saying, "I recognize my faults. I am a sinner i'm not giving a defense that's that's what I am and so he forgives her, whereas all the rest of them are sitting there, pointing a finger at somebody else, neglecting their own
2: sin and then we get to modern examples of this." Mm where you'll have, you know, people try to burn an entire church down because they didn't like the, cha- you know, the decision on the color of the carpet. Mm. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you, you change the, the bylaws a little bit, as a, and you vote on it legitimately. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have a small group of people try to tank an entire church. And that, that's born straight from the pit of hell, and that's envy. Yeah, mm-hmm. because, because what often happens, what often is the case,
0: is they have been the, the power in the church. Mm-hmm. Right? They have been the ones that everybody listens to me. My and and again that idea of self-worth, my self-worth is tied into I I run this church. You know, people listen to me. People do, when I say something, people do it. I make the decisions in this establishment. And then you get a new pastor in there that says, "No, that's not how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That's not how it's supposed to be." And it's not, "Hey, you can't be a part of this church anymore," but, "Hey, your identity shouldn't be in running this church. Mm-hmm. Jesus runs this church. Your identity should be in Christ. And so when in in that new pastor, there's life there, there's momentum, there's joy, right? There's something new. And so people and they've got that prestigious title of pastor. And so, well, yeah, I know you you know, I know you've been doing a lot here for the church, but you know, he's pastor. I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to go talk to him. So now they're not bending your ear anymore. They're bending the pastor's ear. They're going to talk to the pastor. You're not the one making the decisions. The pastor is is facilitating those decisions, right? You're not the one in control. Your identity is being ripped from you, as a person, as a as a church member. Yeah. And so now you've got to attack that pastor because he's stealing your identity. He's stealing. He's taking your your mode of of, of expressing power. Yes. Yeah,
2: This doesn't just happen in churches, it happens in corporate boardrooms, it happens in families. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially if you get married and you bring somebody else in, the family dynamic changes. How many
0: how many movies have been made with that plot line of a a boy who's a mama's boy, you know, finds a woman who's strong and independent, you know? Just like his mom. Yeah, just like his mom. And the mom hates the the new the new the new the Mm -hmm. new boo thing because you know what? He's he's starting to listen to her. She's she's telling him how to take care of himself. He's not coming to mama no more. I hate her. How many stories have been like that? And
1: that's Bobby Boucher. (laughs) Little girls is the (laughs) devil.
0: Yes, yes. That that Vicky Benancourt. Oh, I like her. (laughs) She likes me
1: too. (laughs) Don't finish that. If you guys know it, you know where I want to go, but I can't say that on this family-friendly podcast. I mean, it's not, but it is.
0: But, please, please don't. But that's true. And and so this happens in our life and it's not it's not it's not so outright. It's not so in your face. Often it is under the surface. Often it's passive aggressive. And often maybe it's not full blown in our lives. Maybe we're not manifesting it like that. But w- there are going to be envious tendencies in our lives if we let them happen. Mm-hmm. If we start playing that comparison game. Well, if we it's s-
1: even with – because envy is, is in one sense a pursuit of recognition for things. And we see examples with Augustine, uh, if you read his confessions, where Augustine is sitting around with other guys. Today a lot of people might call it locker room talk. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's men and women the same. Uh, But with Augustine, him saying how he would hear all of these guys who he was around talk about these uh, disgusting, debaucherous things that they had triumphs with, whether it was sexually or some other other area. And Augustine would make up completely fictitious things that he did along the same lines to be able to try and get this this recognition from people. And he would have this. This desire for for these things because of this envy of the recognition the other people were getting, and it makes you think, well, how much of what everyone else was saying was true? Mm. If Augustine was doing those things, then really, how much of this stuff was these other guys actually yeah. doing? You know, probably a couple of them actually did something, but if 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 Augustine's making up these things to be even greater, you know, like that that um, tip for tat thing that Gaza was like, man. I I did this and that. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I did this and that. And it just goes back and forth until it's more and more outlandish. You you caught a a
0: one-foot-long fish. I caught a two-foot-long fish. I caught, you know, or I I caught five of them. This is
1: the the fish that got away story. It's just like, man, uh, I'd show you, but I don't take pictures when I catch fish. I'm not that kind of a person. (laughs) There's literally a guy I used to work with. um, He showed a picture of some other guy holding a deer that he said he shot. They were like, you got a picture with you holding it? He's like, no. He's like, I, don't, I don't take pictures holding the deer. I don't, I don't like that. Then why are you so prideful about showing the picture of the deer that you shot? Then why are
0: we having this conversation? Like, the,
1: dude, get away with me with that. You didn't shoot that deer. And so so one of the things that we can look at
0: in our own life to like see maybe we have some of these tendencies is, is are we seeking out that comparison? Right. It's not wrong to be competitive. It's not wrong to be zealous and wanting to achieve greater and wanting to, like, have that competition with somebody. But is our identity tied in that? Are we seeking comparison? Are we always trying to one up other people? Um, Are we are we talking bad about people like gossip? Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about hatred and maliciousness, but gossip, gossip is is a sin that comes off of that branch. Right. When we're when we're talking bad about somebody, whether it's true or not, you know, they might have there might be some slander there. There might be some lies thrown in, but maybe there's some truth. Maybe there's some prayer requests we're sharing. Yeah. Right. But are we doing like what's the intent? Are we trying to spread these things to tear other people's down, other
1: people down? And it's, I, I was just listening today while I was working um, podcasts between Joe Rogan and Randall Carlson and somehow they got on to to talking about a thing, um, uh, a saying that um, goes around. It, it, you can apply it to anger as well, but uh, envy is one of the, the things to where it does more harm oftentimes to the vessel than it does to the other person. Mm. And so you may not be someone who would ever venture to the point of harming the other person out of your enviousness or to doing things that would constrain or... Um, cause ill will or suffering on the other person, no matter how small. But you're causing yourself far more damage and harm because you're allowing this enviousness to brood inside you unchecked, and you're allowing that tree that we talked about earlier to grow and grow and grow and grow because you're throwing fertilizer and water on that thing like there's no tomorrow. Mm. You're growing swampland trees by the dozens because you're letting your enviousness run rampant inside you, and it's just devouring you. It's destroying you because you want that person to be hurt so bad, but you're unwilling to let it go anywhere, and it's just bottling up inside. And heaven forbid you would go further and actually cause harm to that person, Mm. but either way, someone's getting hurt, and you're going to be one of those people,
0: mm-hmm. Rob. You had you had uh, noted a, an interesting study uh, between envy and depression, and how there's a huge tie between these things.
2: Oh yeah, there's a. Let me just pull that up. Uh, envy and depression. This was specifically talking about uh, Facebook. As as interesting as it is. It's a social comparison, envy and depression on Facebook, a study looking at the effectives of high comparison standards on depressed individuals. Yep. <clears throat> uh, and basically, what they came down to conclude uh, from the results of this this study, because they're, uh, you know, comparing how those envy uh, intersect with depression. they They used to think that uh, envy will make you more depressed. Mm. Uh, but they actually found it, it also goes the other way, uh, that the more depressed you are, the more you go on Facebook to pass the time, you see other people in their lives, and you start to envy them. And then the more you envy them, the more depressed you get, it actually says it prolongs your depression when you envy mm-hmm. other people.
1: It's cyclical. Uh,
2: and, and so this monster feeds itself. Uh, and so, you know, you if you really think about it, just the way this happens, people go on Facebook, they see other people with these fake lives that they are yep. trying to present and put out there the, the best of themselves. You don't see everything everybody's going through. And... Uh, then they come and they bring back and they go, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not like that. And they, I, I want that. I want something like that. And you just get depressed because you're not that. Mm-hmm. Um, they also discovered that uh, the higher, the, the more successful somebody was, the more you envied them. And mm-hmm. so if you're already depressed, you go on Facebook, you see somebody who is, you know, just like you, or, you know, they're, they might be in the next stage of life as you, you're less likely to envy them. You'll you'll get around to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see somebody who has a yacht and they're successful and they're, you know, from your graduating class from high school and you're just yeah. like, look at what they've done with their lives and you're more prone to envy them and think, well, maybe I know them, maybe I should tear them down a peg. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so this this status of somebody who is more successful you're going to envy them more than somebody who is closer to who, where you actually yeah. are on this scale
1: and it's you bring up the whole um, you know high school reunion thing you know the guy who has more or the girl who has more whatever and you're envious of them envious will also cause you to pursue this fake lifestyle on social media and to at some point Some instances, you actually get those things. And so what do you do? You go and you flash it around because you want everyone else to be envious of you because you're actually envious and insecure of your own identity. And you're looking to be able to try and displace that by trying to turn it on its head and say, no, 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 you're envious of me. Mm. I'm not envious of you. You're envious of me. Yeah. And we see this trope played out in movies too. Mm. This person who puts up this front and puts up this huge pizzazz and whatever and it's either shown out to just be a full fraud um or whatever it's like people living uh lifestyles that they fell into Mm. but it's not really theirs Mm. and they just they just want you to want to be like that them because they really want what you have uh John Mayer has the song where he sings about him him going on the road and going in another motel and you know being by himself Um, but the girl that he was hanging out with actually got a family and all these things. It's just like, you know, I wanted what everybody else had, but I never got what I
2: actually wanted. Mm. And with, when it comes to Facebook and envy, uh, you go back to what Facebook was originally created for. Uh, it was a college dating app. Mm. And, And so it's the, the entire point is to go on, click on, and then be able to actually rate and compare, uh, girls specifically, but just people. And you, it's so very shallow, but the entire system is built off of envy because mm-hmm. how do you become you know, more desirable to a dating app? Well, you put yourself out as more desirable. If you have somebody who's yep. not desirable, then, okay, they're going to get shoved to the end. And so it's, the entire system is built off of envy and so what I would encourage you is if you are dealing with depression and you have issues, you're, you're prone to envy, get off social media, get off Facebook. You're going to be so much happier uh, because that outlet is a vice to you. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. That, um, there's a song by Brad Paisley called Online.
2: Oh, uh, um, yeah.
0: I'm so much cooler online.
1: Yeah, and this song was back when, um, uh, when MySpace was still a thing. And so that's what he was <laughs> referencing was was MySpace, and so we all know it gets worse. I mean, this is back in two thousand seven. This is, you know, MySpace is kind of going away. Such but an that's, innocent time. That's what we knew was <laughs>
2: MySpace before there was even the iPhone that
1: and, came out next year. And so Brad Paisley's making this thing. Is, you know he he every every single time he logs on, he gains another foot yeah. and loses like ten pounds or whatever. And so it's. It's this this cyclical thing of us constantly trying to, to show us ourselves as, as better as someone to be envious of while we're constantly envious of everybody else on that platform. So um, let's
0: let's get into how do we fix it, right? Um, Rob, you had mentioned that you know if you if you've got issues with that, hey, get off Facebook. But again, this is the whole point of discussing it, right? We want to know the thing. Um, there, there's a lot of conversations that, that we've had amongst ourselves in this group of this idea of the power of a name. Being able to name a thing can give you power over it. And, and, and there's, that's a whole other, other podcast that I'm looking forward to doing. But when we know what the issue is, when we know this in our own life, when we see these examples, when we, the more we know it, the better we can often be at, at facing it and tackling it in our own life. And so now we have spent a good bit of time understanding this idea of envy and how it manifests and some of the nuances in it. How do we begin to, to cut off that branch? How do we begin to remove that um, from, from our lives? Rob, you, you mentioned one thing, just getting off of social media, just, just removing yourself from that equation. What are some What are some other practical things that we can do to to begin to move that out? Maybe not just practical, maybe more theoretical as well. But some some things that we can do.
2: I'd say the big one is to practice, practice, intentionally practice contentment, being happy with what you are given and being satisfied with where you are in life. And you know, even if you're working towards something, you have goals. That's that's good, uh, but to be content with the stage of life you are in uh, i go to philippians 4 um you know what paul is saying there uh, you know we've got this very famous verse you know where he, that is often misquoted i can do all things through him who strengthens me uh it's not but, about you <laughs> but right before that he says, "I know how to get along with humble means. That means he's poor. I know how to get along and live in prosperity when I'm when I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things, and what he means by I can I can make it through all things because Christ strengthens me." And so, uh, he he is really giving this this big strong encouragement of being content no matter what circumstances because uh, my image my my you know inside who I am my identity is found in Christ it's not found in whether I have or whether I do not have mm. it is found in Christ in Christ alone and so all things I can I can do all things because he is the one who strengthened me I'm not strengthening myself yeah and so he, he I, I think he makes even a very strong point there that okay it, Life is not about being poor or being rich. Because that those are perfectly fine things in and of themselves. You can be content in both circumstances, but you have to practice uh really where you put your heart and being content mm-hmm. with what you who you are and what you have. Yeah.
0: One thing that we talked about, I can't remember what episode, but we were talking with Zach with the whole uh, thing I, the idea of fake it till you make it, and he used a better word. I can't, or better phrase. I can't remember. And you had no, come up I, with one. Yeah, too. it was
1: um, um, do it till you prove it. Yeah,
0: and this idea of you're not gonna feel because if you've got that deep seated uh uh tree of envy in your life, that deep rooted envy in you, that contentment is not just gonna happen. You, I like the word you use. You're gonna have to practice it, right? It doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to feel it. You're still going to have those temptations, but beginning to practice it, to know that your identity is in Christ. He gives you strength to bear through all circumstances. Your identity is Him. Is in him. Because we've talked a lot about self-worth, and I think that that's, can be a little bit abstract to some degree. And it might manifest in a lot of ways to do it. Maybe you have to do a mantra every time you look in the mirror in the you know in the morning or something like that, or maybe you just have to memorize scripture. Maybe you have to surround yourself with people that are going to text you and say, "Hey, God loves you. God is for you. Your whatever that may be." But I think a lot of it comes into knowing my identity is found in Christ. My identity is found in Christ. He has called me. He has given me gifts. He's given me a place. I mean, I think of Corinthians, you know, the eye can't say to the or the foot can't say to the eye, you're not valuable or or, I'm not valuable or, you know, I wish I was this or you shouldn't be here or I need to be here. No, God has given glory to the lesser seen parts, to the more humble parts. Um, And and maybe we're maybe we're more humble, but God has a specific place. The body can't function without you. Body can't function without its pinky toe. Right? You'd be falling over, and so you might not be the eye, maybe you're just the pinky toe, but you're valuable, and God has made you that way, and that's where your
1: identity should lie.
2: Right. yeah, it's I'm a gallbladder, <laughs>
1: so we're gonna get rid of you soon i <laughs> i couldn't I couldn't find it. I was trying to to find in in the book glittering vices um where she references it, but I'll just try and and remember I think it's ninety days is what she references to be able to create a new habit, mm-hmm. to, to redo something and, and replace something. Because you can't, you can't just say, don't do this, and then you stop doing it. It's you have to replace it with something else. And the example I have, because I played a lot of basketball, is a basketball example, is when you want to shoot like Steph Curry, but you've been shooting like Draymond for your entire life, you have to do something different. You don't just start shooting like Curry because you shoot more shots. Like there's a difference between having work ethic towards getting somewhere. You can have all the discipline in the world, but if you're not doing things in a way that is productive and that is going to profit, then you're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, If if you're shooting and your elbow's poking out off the side – and you're pushing and your hand's pushing off all the way to your right side, you're not going to make good shots. If you don't jump when you shoot shots when you're further out, if you're not putting your legs into the shot, you're not going to make as many shots. If all you're doing is releasing your wrist and you're coming up, stopping, and then pushing, you're not going to make as many shots. You have to look at what you're doing now and say, okay, how am I not succeeding at making these things and break it down into individual steps. And so when we look at how we may get envious of other people, why are we getting envious of other people? Are we putting ourselves in positions to allow ourselves to be envious or are we thinking ahead and saying, you know what, that's going to cause me to be envious. Now, am I saying that you can avoid all situations to be envious? No, but if you're looking to try and set yourself up to grow out of being envious, maybe you should avoid the things that cause you more envy. Mm. We said social media. That's one example. That's really great. Uh, If there's TV shows or tropes or other things that get you to be envious about certain things, then don't watch those things. Uh, If there's conversations that will brood that up, if there's certain people who you would be around that that would come up, then maybe you should try and avoid those situations because that's going to bring up enviousness in you. Ultimately, and this is where it gets difficult to be able to parse out as specific steps to take, but I'll try and do my best here. Um, If this is rooted in identity and are trying to prove our worth by diminishing other people, whether through harm or through simply enjoying their demise, if that happens naturally, we need to quit focusing on other people and we need to start trying to understand what our identity is. Mm. Because by focusing on everyone else and seeing what we don't have and seeing what we want. We're not addressing the fault in ourselves. We're focusing on everything else outside of it. And so as Christians, we view the lacking thing that we don't have to be Christ in us. We can't work our way to having fulfilled lives. We can't work our way towards being complete. We can't get the thing that someone else has. We can't have all the money, have all the fame, have all the whatever, accomplishments, whatever it is that that floats your boat. Getting those things is not going to fulfill you. Other people losing things isn't going to fulfill you. You recognizing that you can't meet that point and that Christ did, that's what's going to fulfill it. And the thing that's keeping you from getting to that point is realizing that Christ did die for you. You may think you're inadequate and that you don't match up with other people or that other people have things that you should have. Well, guess what? You already have what it is that everyone else needs in the first place. You just have to accept it. Mm. Christ died for everyone already. All you have to do is come to the realization that he did that. And then all of a sudden, you're going to start realizing that you don't need this other crap. You don't need to be envious of other people. Why? Because you have the thing that is actually valuable, Mm. and that is Christ in you. That is the sacrifice that was made. And when you start to understand that everyone's on the same playing field, everyone's on the same level, everyone's all depraved, everyone's all sinful, and Christ died for everybody, well, guess what? All of a sudden, you're not worried about what other people have Mm. because it's usually shallow things. It's usually possessions that we're envious of.
2: Well, it's when you look at hollywood you see high rates of you know suicide and depression and drug overdose and it's, they're all medicating something because they're not happy with their lives yep. they've got all this money and all of this fame and prestige and even to a certain extent power but they ain't happy and it's because we're all on the same boat you know you you you'll never be able to accumulate enough stuff to fill that hole inside of you and uh, th- this is to say that if you are struggling with Envy with these specific kinds of things because there is some kind of inadequacy in and of yourself. Then, what you really need are you need some really close, strong friends, people you trust implicitly that to tell you, hey, this is where you got holes, this is where you've got problems, you know, people that you're not going to get angry for telling you the truth. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, try- I'm uh, just go to one and say, I'm honestly trying to work on this. Can you call me out on this because I don't need to be obsessed or, or, or working on this? And you really just need uh, the people to love on you because mm. of who you are. They don't need to change you. They don't need that. You know, so the biggest influence in my life is just two guys who came along and loved me for who I was. An awkward little kid in, in high school who nobody understood. And they said, you know what, you're, you're cool. We're going to hang out with you anyway, even if you say stupid things. And, you know, they changed the entire trajectory of my life just because they were there and they accepted me as I was and loved me for who I, wa- who I am. And uh, you can do so much more with that. And this is why accountability, small groups, being just, you know, friends and brothers and sisters with people is so important.
1: That's, there's um, something that's on the same vein that something I did uh, when I was in college, and I started doing it my, second, my second semester. Mm. And um, I started asking, I went to a guy who was a mentor to me. I can only say I've ever had one person who was truly a mentor to me, and he was at CIU, and his name is Sam. He was fantastic for me in growing and learning who I was, and he didn't do it by telling me that I needed to be this or that. But the thing that I started doing and that I think is beneficial for everyone to try and do in your own way if you have a different way of doing it is to find those people who you can talk to that you need accountability with, like you're saying, but be specific and say, where do you see my faults? What like I specifically went around to people, and I don't know if I did it with you two specifically because I did it with a bunch of people, is anyone and everyone, it didn't matter if I found them, you know, reverent or trustworthy or whatever. but I went to ask as many people as I knew that I could have some kind of trust in and said, "Where do you think that my worst faults are?" And you're gonna get a wide variety of reactions of people who are like, "Where do I begin?" <laughs> to people who are like, "Oh, um, Oh, you're great man. this This makes me really uncomfortable because I think you're gonna get mad at me if I tell you what I think. And it's gonna be difficult to get anyone to really be honest with you, and that's where the the toughness is. and this is where I would try and say, ask as many people as you can because then you'll start to see consistencies. Okay. If you start to see one or two things that everybody's kind of saying, well, guess what? that's that's probably something where you're struggling at. Yeah. And I started to see in myself, the things that, okay, I thought this was an issue. I know this is an issue now. Or I had no idea I had that problem. I need to learn to not do that thing. Or I need to learn to to do this thing specifically because I don't do that. Um, As a result of that, I specifically took an entire week and I kept myself from saying anything. And it was only out of either necessity or answering a question that I spoke up and I said anything. And that was massive for me personally. Um, that's just how that led. So when it comes to envy, ask people specifically, am I envious? Do I, do I, like, if you're in the back of your head thinking, I, I might have a problem with this, or if you're on the other end and say, oh, I don't have a problem with this at all, both of you types of people need to ask this question hmm. It specifically, like most importantly, both of you types of people on either end of the spectrum need to go to people who you think will give you a good answer and ask them if you have a problem with envy. And then you can start working there because guess what? You've already been vulnerable
2: mm-hmm.
1: with these people. So guess what? And they've what? accepted you enough to tell you the truth. Yes, So now you've got people who you know you can work with Mm. and you don't have to have, you know, like this powwow of, you know, the two, three, four people who are honest with you and all of you have to get together and talk about these things. But now you have people who you are honest with and who, you know, they can be honest with you Mm. and you can start getting that analysis and that critique and going through this process of being like, okay, they can call me out now and I know it's not going to be because they dislike
2: me or uh, ill will or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm just imagining getting four people together. We're all gathered here to tell Thomas what's wrong with him.
0: (laughs) Oh, you got that text too. Okay, cool, 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 cool. I thought I was the only one.
2: I didn't know that was you, man. I didn't have your number on my phone. There are mentors, and then there's tour mentors.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I'm going to keep that. So so there's
0: two things I kind of want to close with here because – in in last the last episode we talked about how these vices are often an excess of pride or a deficiency in love and I think both um you can depending on the lens you use you can see both in your life if you're struggling with this or if you have an inclination towards it and so I think the solution is tied up in both as well and so as an instance of pride it's this 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 l- This worrying about your self-image, where your value is, where your identity is. And so if that's the lens you're looking at it through, well, then the solution is to understand your value, where your value is, where your identity is, and to reframe that idea. It could also be a deficiency of love, right? I don't love this person. I don't love God. God doesn't love me because he didn't give me what this person has. So a distortion of love. And if that's the issue then you guys have talked about that, too. The solution is, one, to have people love on you, right? To have people tell you and affirm, I love you, not because what you've done for me or not what you can do or who you might become. But I love you because of who you are. And to recognize that God views you that way, too. If, if, if uh, I can't remember the psalm. the the, You know, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. If I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. I own it all. There's nothing you can do for God. He owns it all. So his love is not contingent upon that. He loves you for you. And you need to find other people who also love you that way too. But it doesn't stop there with this idea of love Mm -hmm. because it's got to come out of us, right? You had used the analogy earlier in in prep. We're talking about that that cup that flows over and— once you've recognized that love, then you need to begu- begin to pursue love in other people mm-hmm. and, and not in a, so there might be that person that one specific person your rivals with or you're envious of. And let me tell you this, they don't view you the same way, right? If you're envious of that person and your all your thoughts are consumed by that person and trying to defeat that person, let me tell you, you're not on their radar.
1: yeah. It's, that, it's that meme of the two guys in the elevator. Mm. is you you probably this or that about me. Like, I don't think about you ever.
0: I don't even know who you are, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> that idea. But what you need to begin to do for them is to love them, yeah, right? And not in a sense to show off, to say, look how good I am because I love them. Do things that they will never know you've done. Love them in ways that they will never see, that, that no one will ever see. Do good for others in such a way that they will never praise you for it until they get to heaven and they see it, right? Do those things, because that can become a comparison game too. Look at how much I'm doing. No, 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 no. Love people in such a way that they don't, they don't know it. And then seek ways that all people can, because that's that competitive nature, right? Love people enough that, that their victory is your victory. Love people enough that their good is your good, that we all grow together, because then you remove that comparison. You remove that competitive nature. So the issue might be pride, well, then the solution is finding your identity. The issue might be love, and so the solution is love.
1: Right? As I have one last thing, um, very brief. In the first episode, I brought up the the differences between sinfulness through pride and sinfulness through the pursuit of something good. And so my example here is that y- there are people who have been abused and neglected and so as a result, they're envious of the things that they never received, that they justfully should have gotten. Mm. You can think of it as children whose father left or their mother left or either one of them was abusive or they were present but absent. Um, I know that's something that a lot of people could probably recognize. And so you struggle with either feeling like you're being envious or you struggle with envy as a result of those things. And so... Your trouble is not the same as someone who is envious in the ways that we've been talking about majorly here. Your issue is with finding, with understanding that you are valuable and Christ has died for you and that you were imbued with God's image. Mm. And so you don't need to worry about not having gotten that when you were younger or not having received what you should have gotten. And you don't have to make up for that, and you don't have to be envious of other people who had the things you didn't when you were growing up. Because mm. guess what? Christ is more than enough for any of that.
0: His body is, is more than enough.
1: Yeah, and, and to make that even more so, something that we went over this past weekend when we, we all had a, had a party wagon going to a concert, is there's a reason why Christ still has his scars in his hands. Is because he identifies with us. He, he didn't just heal up completely and run away. His point was for us to bring us back into him. And so if you want to realize how valuable you actually are and how you have no need and how trivial enviousness is, realize that Christ still has those scars and will always have those scars because he loves us that much.
0: it's yeah. a good point, that clarification. We've talked about it before. Jealousy, zealousness, there is good that can come from pursuing things, right? Pushing ourselves, being jealous of a thing, um, not from a sense of fear that you might lose it, but from a sense of, I want to be the best I can be. That's great. That's good. Using your gifts, using your talents, using what God has put in you to pursue good things. That is great. When it comes at the expense of others, that's wrong. And so just in that same way that we talked about earlier, just what you said, Thomas, there are good things that, that God has made us to enjoy. And maybe some of us have been lacking in those things. And it's not wrong to want those things. It's not wrong to seek those things, but we've got to find it in the right ways. So I appreciate that, that clarification there. Um, well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, again, I hope you all are joining in us, in with us, in that where we're really trying to dig deep into our own selves and seeing, man, where do we lack? And not from a sense of worry or fear, but a sense of how can I pursue God better? Um, and we've all got struggles, and maybe we all struggle with all these things in different ways. Maybe some of these things are more more uh, present in our life than uh, than we than we know. Uh, but it's it's good that we pursue this. This self discovery here, so that we can be um, the best we can and, and so that we can help others along with it. And so, um, thank you for that. And uh, here we've got um, a little question that we're going to ask to see uh, what we're going to look at next. So, let's see if that's picking up. What's in the box? That was very lackluster. I need to watch the What's movie. in the box? What's in the box? So next week's, our next next episode. Sloth, that's what we will be covering. The next. I like those episode. creatures.
1: I've actually been watching um, uh, the the uh, prehistoric movies. I'm forgetting the name of them right now. What's the sloth? Oh, Ice Age. The, Ice Age. Yeah, me and the wife have been rewatching them, and so sloth is is pretty cool. <laughs> you don't have any kids. you just watch them. Yep. They're good movies. Hey, but- we are both very childish at heart. So. David David
0: got a little upset because we talked about this. Uh, we talked about reflection in our Couch Confessions episode, um, mm-hmm. and uh, we talked about self reflection and just this idea of the the seven deadly sins or the seven capital vices. And he he uh, he felt offended that we were that we put sloth on the list because he really likes sloths he doesn't see why that's a problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so our next hey episode- you
2: guys. <laughs>
0: So our next episode will be covering the vice, the capital vice of sloth, and we hope you join us in that as well. Uh, as always, you can uh, talk to us on social media, unless you need to take an es- escape from that. Um, but if you're not, you need to, you can talk to us uh, at BL Heretics. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, if you're taking a break from social media, you can find us on YouTube at uh, the Borderline Heretics Studios. Uh, that's on YouTube, and uh, we'll release some clips and things like that from our episodes. Uh, but if you're taking a break from all that kind of media, you can just also just email us. You know, there's no harm in email, right? Yep. Um,
2: that and, we've discovered.
0: And that's uh, blhstudios21 at gmail, uh, and you can email us there. And
1: anything, if you want to email me, you can email me at thomas at gmail dot com. Yes. Any questions, ideas, whatever stuff you have with that. Uh, there's a lot of things in the works right now that we're trying to get ready, uh, and you can find me there.
0: Sweet. Uh, you can also email him if you've got some things to add to that list of uh, faults of his. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm just kidding. We, lo- we love you. Um, I think that's about it. So uh, until we cover drunkenness, pour one out for Jesus.
1: Bye, guys.